Hey there folks, Alex Oaks here, and before we get started on this episode, I'd just like to address a couple of current events. The problem is, is that we often record our episodes weeks in advance and often in batch form, so it's very difficult for us to respond to current events. So, first the good news, that about two and a half hours after we wrapped up recording this episode on the 7th of February, my wife's water broke and by the time we got to the hospital at 1 o'clock in the morning, she was ready to give birth. And at 5.47, my son David Gerard Laux was born. And he's now a month old, doing quite well, very calm as a baby, but will scream his head off if he wants something. And I'm just looking forward to introducing him to the world, and to photography, and the joys that any sort of hobby can bring. The second, not so good. And that has to do with the illegal, immoral, and brutal invasion of Ukraine ordered by Russian President Vladimir Putin. And if you take a look at our episode notes both at alexlokes.com and Podbean, you'll find multiple ways in which you can donate and help out the people of Ukraine. There's been several print sales organized on Instagram, and our Instagram account has been featuring Ukrainian-built cameras, Uh, Ukrainian photographers and images of anti-war protests going on around the world and throughout Europe. So before we get this episode started, I just want to say Slava Ukraini, glory to Ukraine, prayers for peace and for the defenders. Hey there folks and welcome back to the Classic Camera Revival and today we are diving into the depths of photographic historic processes. And the idea is, and that process is, of course, wet plate. And while it is not in the regular realm of film photography today, there are still masters and apprentices who practice it today. And unlike the Sith, one does not have to kill the other after they have learned all their secrets. So let's roll the introduction and introduce you to our master and our apprentice. Welcome to the Classic Camera Revival, coming to you from the Greater Toronto Hamilton region of Ontario, Canada. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you most likely will by the end of the episode. Okay, so who do we have today? Well, if you have been following the world of wet plate, you probably know who our master is, and it is Shane. And he is coming to us from North Dakota. His work has impressed hundreds, if not thousands, and his plates are in some of the world's finest archives around the world. He has photographed almost everyone from famous people to the indigenous populations from the United States and beyond. And the apprentice we have is Toronto's very own Jamie Marsalis, who is no stranger to the CCR. We have had him on here before. So as someone who has only done one plate in my entire life, I'm going to turn off my microphone and I am going to turn it over to Shane. Welcome to CCR. Thank you, Alex. I I appreciate it. Um, Wet plate collodion photography was uh, invented by Frederick Scott Archer in 1851. Um, it followed the daguerreotype process um, about a, which was about a decade before that. 
he wanted to uh, improve a little bit on um, some of the the problems um, with the daguerreotype process. Get some dangerous chemicals. The daguerreotype you have to hold it at a certain angle to be able to see the image. Those kinds of things. And, and Frederick Scott Archer essentially gave this process to the world. Um, he died uh, penniless and poor. And um, up to just a few years ago, it was in like an unmarked grave. Um, some wet plate photographers got together and got some money together and and put a proper tombstone on his on his uh, burial site. So, to briefly describe what we're doing, we're making images made out of pure silver on some kind of substrate. Um, I happen to be an ambrotypist, which means eternal impression in Latin. I make all of my images on, on black glass. Um, there's people, if your listeners know about the tintype process, um, there's nothing to be confused about. The tintype process is the same as the, the ambrotypist, what we do, it's just um, you're putting it on a piece of metal or tin. Um, in modern day, it's uh, usually put on trophy aluminum. So um, both Jamie and I practice uh, ambrotype uh, photography right now. Um, we're, we're shooting on black glass. And um, people ask me why black glass versus something else, some other kind of substrate or a tin type. Um, and there's something about the fragility of the black glass, there's something about the weight of the black glass. It's it's very analog. When you when I when I, if I would uh, hand one to you, Alex, you'd you'd feel you feel this object in your hand, and um, and and that's why I and I, you have to covet you have to covet an amber type. You can't you know you can't drop it in those kinds of things. And when the students come out every year, I I take a tin type out in my hand and show it to them, and I drop it on the floor, and everyone just kind of like freaks out and I knowing darn well that nothing's going to happen to that uh, that tintype, but that, that's not the case with an amber type. So there's something about the fragility. And if, if you came into the studio and I did your portraits off a tintype or an amber type, nine out of 10 times, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to gravitate towards that, that amber type. So we're making one-off images, analog images. So this is the, the great grandfather of, of photography. This is where it all began. And it began in 1851. And um, the, the wet plate era went to about the mid 1880s uh, when it was replaced by um, the dry plate process. And what the dry plate process did, it allowed photographers to um, escape the darkroom. Now, when Jamie and I make portraits, we have to have a darkroom within feet of where we're creating because if that plate dries, we lose the image. So um, with the dry plate process, you could take 100 dry plates out in the field you know, hundreds of miles from your studio, uh, do your exposures, keep them in a black box, a dark box, and bring them back weeks later and develop and fix them and, and so forth. So you, you, it freed the photographer up from a dark room. That's not um, something that Jamie and I have the luxury of, uh, of uh, having. So we have to have a dark room readily available. You know, if, if people think about every time they use their iPhone, if they had to have a dark room within 10 feet of where they were capturing their image, uh, I think there'd be a lot fewer iPhone photographs taken tomorrow if that was the case. So um, essentially the, the, the two beautiful things that I love about the Wesley process is that these, these images are made out of pure silver. Um, silver does not degrade. Um, you, when the students come in, I put, I have a silver spoon that I put on the ground and I say, if I come back 500 years from now, what is on the ground? And the answer must be a silver spoon. So these images are completely archival. They outlast any other photographic process known to man. And um, convenience and um, inexpensive um, was not a good enough reason to abandon this in, in 1885. Um, the other really important part that I love about this process is the resolution. We are writing in molecules of silver. I've done some research and it turns out it takes about 2 billion 
molecules of silver at the tip of your finger for you to be able to visualize the actual collection of silver at that point. So we're writing in those molecules of silver. So Alex, you can take any one of my wet plates on the wall um, and take it to university, ask for the high powered microscope and you can't get to the pixel of grain that makes up the image under that microscope, which takes resolution to a, an entire different level. You have to have actually an electron microscope. And I've seen these, these, these slides. You have to have an electron mic, uh, microscope at 10,000 power in order to see the clumping of the silver. So that's the resolution that these images are at. So these are the most high resolution photographs man has ever made. And we gave this up in 1885 for something convenient, like we give up everything. It's not a good enough reason. And so I'm an advocate. I fell down this rabbit hole, never owned a camera in 2012. Within 45 days of finding out what it was, was I, I taught myself. And I've, there's no bottom to this rabbit hole, as Jamie will probably uh, contest. You just, uh, you just keep going and going and going. And um, it's not, you, you know, when you introduced me, you called me a master. I, I don't feel comfortable with that, that term, obviously, because um, I think I need about another 30 years. Um, to actually feel like I've, I've actually, um, I feel comfortable in this process. So. Wow. So one of the, one of the, your projects that first drew me to your work was your work with the indigenous peoples in North Dakota. What is the basis for that project? It's amazing that we're having this talk tonight, Alex, because just 35 minutes ago, I was sitting at the table with Ernie LaPointe, the great girl in the sitting bowl, who just visited my studio again today. This is his fifth visit to my studio. So portrait number one, I never had any Native American friend whatsoever when I started my series. There was a, a photographer here in uh, Orlando Scott Goff in Bismarck that captured the very first photograph of sitting bowl back in, I want to say it's 1882. And so when I found that out, I found out about this, this other person in my hometown, practicing the same process, 135 years removed from what I'm doing, I, it just fascinated me. And then I found out that he not only took a photograph of City Bowl, the great, the great um, Lakota leader, but he um, took the very first photograph of of uh, City Bowl. So I contacted Ernie LaPointe years ago and said, Ernie, I, I said, um, you know, Orlando Scott Goff took this photograph. Ernie was very well aware of this photograph, knew about Orlando Scott Goff, knew about his work, knew about the significance of his work. And I told Ernie, well, if you come to Bismarck, I'll capture your same a portrait of you 135 years later um, in the same process in the same city. And he was in my studio within a week. And, and we've just had this relationship um, going and, and that was um, ground zero for my series. And um, that's where it all began. So now I'm on a, a 20 year journey to capture a thousand Native Americans. I'm at plate 564 as of Friday, and I've been doing this a little bit over seven years. That That is just amazing, especially with, with all the discussion around um, Indigenous people today, especially here in, here in Canada and our own dark history with it. It's just incredible that you're able to capture these people and capture them in their in their traditional garb as well. Um, how hard has has it been to um, to work with to work with them to to talk with them about this? Well, I mean, not not having any Native American friends whatsoever. Um, you know, it all started with Ernie, and then I captured Dakota Goodhouse, who was a he's a professor here at the United Tribes Technical College. And it was just all word of mouth at that point. And um, there's a lot of trust involved. 
And, you know, like you said, you know, it's, it's called Northern Plains, Native Americans, a modern wet plate perspective. And my second book is coming out here in about a month or so for the series. It's a modern wet plate perspective. I put that in there because I didn't want to, you can look at some of my images for the series and you can, you, you can't tell that they're not a hundred and taken 50 years ago, but you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to pretend either. So the process gives me that look that we're all looking for, because those are the historic photographs that we know of the Native Americans back in the, the frontier days. Um, but, you know, I've shot um, Native Americans with just a baseball cap on, and, you know, um, a doctor came in with his scrubs on. And so there's really no requirement. People think that there's like this regalia requirement for my work, and it's not. There's one requirement that I, um, one rule that I have for the series is, well, two rules. You have to be Native American, um, obviously. And the second rule is that I don't provide any prop or outfit or anything that's shown in the photograph to keep the integrity of the series. Because if I was handing people a spear or a bow and arrow or, or, you know, some kind of fur coat or something, I would, I would be interfering. So, um, and I, and I have people ask me, do you have regalia for me? And the answer is always no. And, and the reason for that is to keep the integrity. So I, I, you know, um, some of the previous frontier photographers have been uh, chastised in modern day for providing um, different um, different uh, items to, to be uh, to be photographed in, and I, I just refused to do that. I knew about that problem, so I, I wanted to sidestep that entire thing. And since plate number one, um, you either bring it or we, you know, we, nothing's included. You know, we just don't shoot anything um, else in in the plate. So amazing, amazing, and that is that is really refreshing to hear. So walk us through a the uh, typical process for creating and shooting a plate as as you have been doing it sure so um like i said we have to have a dark room we have, if the plate once you pour there's collodion so we clean a piece of substrate whatever it is and in my particular case it's a piece of black glass i should let your listeners know um an eight by ten which is what i my studio camera is an eight by ten large format camera it's a ghibellini made in italy um an eight by 10 piece of black glass cost me about 12 bucks. Just the glass, every exposure I'm, I'm starting at base entry level is 12 bucks. No matter, I mean, that, I'm spending 12 bucks every time I take an exposure. And, cost of and, Kodak. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so we take this, uh, whatever it is, uh, if it's a piece of tin or if it's a piece of glass, and we clean it really well with um, what we use. You know, you could use Windex, but we use, uh, Jamie and I use Whiting, which is a housewife's recipe for window cleaner from the Victorian era. It consists of calcium carbonate and 190 proof uh, grain alcohol, which is Everclear. And um, it's always a good, good excuse to have Everclear in the studio. And so we clean this plate really squeaky clean, the, the whiting, because I mean, that's what they use back then. And it's a wonderful glass cleaner, but you have to polish it. So you apply the whiting, but then there's a polishing step similar to like waxing a car, but it, may, it cleans beautifully. And, and we want a little bit, the, the, it's like a talcum powder with calcium carbonate. So there's a, like a micro breaks the surface so that the collodion, so that's the next spot. So I clean a piece of glass and I have a bottle of collodion. Collodion um, had a medical application in the Victorian era. Um, doctors would have ether with them for putting people unconscious. Um, if you had some gun cotton from your, um, some cellulose from your gunsmith, you could put that into the bottle of ether and with some alcohol, you'd make collodion. And I could use, it was like a liquid bandage. So if you got cut by a sword or something, I could pour this collodion. The doctor would have this on him and he would could suture your wound shut in the field. And I've cut my finger in the studio here. 
um, and close my wound up with with a bottle of clothing. It burns like a but it's uh, it's very it's very effective. It, yeah, absolutely. So Archer figured out um, if he adds bromide salts or other, there's other salts you can, there's other clothing recipes, but the um, bromide salt, I'll just for formality's sake, say the bromide salt, the bromide has an affinity towards the silver uh, nitrate. So what we're going to do is we're going to take the, the, the salted clothing, which has the bromide in it. We're going to pour it on the plate. It's called the four corner technique. We're going to evenly coat the plate. We're going to pour that off into our, our storage bottle, and then we're going to put on a, uh, into a silver nitrate bath. And we have like a little dipper that we set this plate on, and we immerse it into the silver nitrate for three minutes. During that three minutes, the silver is um, is um, attracted uh, to the bromide and essentially impregnates the clothing, the emulsion you know, on the on the plate. At that point that plate can never see the light of day. It would just be no different than a piece of sheet film or any other kind of film that you use in the camera. We have to keep that in complete dark. So we load that up in um, in a um, in a plate holder. We take that to the, the, the camera. We do our exposure in my natural light studio. We should explain to your, your uh, listeners as well. Um, ISO of one or less is what uh, I've been told. I'm not a photographer, but that's what I've been told. Um, so I have uh, 10 seconds of exposure here. Anytime that I make when Ernie came in today, he had to hold still for 10 full seconds. So your iPhone one sixtieth of a second, 10 full seconds. So 600 times longer to make a wet plate than, than, than a digital photograph. So I have a head brace that holds them into place. There's a lot of coaching that goes on, um, you know, with blinking and, and not moving and stuff like that. Um, so we're capturing, these are, um, I always explain it as these are, um, still life motion pictures. So all the life of 10 seconds of your life is actually transferred to that plate. And I, I think that's rather beautiful. So we do the exposure and then we got to rush back in before the plate dries. We have to develop the plate. We got to rinse the plate. And then the plate goes into the fixer, uh, which turns like this negative looking um, image. Um, it's called the latent image, turns it back into a positive on our black glass and the image comes to life. That's the, the real phase where everyone does the wooing and eyeing. It's this beautiful, moment where the image we know magic. we finally know what we have at that right jamie we finally know at that point what we have yeah, whether or not we magic we got the exposure right or wrong and um and then uh we have to rinse it again and then it goes on the drying rack and then we're, we're sitting there with this plate drying so you would think okay you have your image well that's not the case either because silver will tarnish over time so months or years down the road that silver oxygen will get to it we know and the victorian guys photographers figured this out it's not something we figured out they knew that they needed to block oxygen from the silver molecules so it didn't tarnish so what they then we would put shellac or a varnish over the silver so there's again more pouring more wet chemicals after the plate dries onto that plate and then we're preserving it at that that point once it's dry put in an acid-free sleeve in the, you know, the medium, um, it'll be there a thousand years from now. And you just can't, and a thousand years from now without the museum having to do one thing with it. Like there's no curation work. I mean, it's just, you know, the, the paintings at the Louvre, you can almost see them, you know, degrading in front of your eyes, it seems like, you know what I mean? You see the cracks and everything. I mean, that's just not, the, the, these things will just be as they, and I've got 170 year old examples of them in my studio. Um, and understand that they didn't have um, climate control either. I mean, these the houses were going up to 120 degrees in the summer, and they're going down to 20 below zero in the winter. I mean, there was these, these plates over the over the, the the decades was had all these extremes of temperature. Our buildings stay at 
you know, within one or two degrees all year round. So these, these images are, they will last indefinitely. I think one of the amazing things, uh, and you especially see this in Shane's work, is uh, the misconception that 10 seconds can't be sharp. Um, so, uh, I mean, Shane's plates, uh, I've, I've been fortunate to see them up close, hold them in my hands. Uh, they're the sharpest images I've ever seen. Um, sharper than digital, sharper than you know any of the film that I've seen. And when you think about the fact that that sitter is sitting still for eight to 12 seconds, um, it's unbelievable. And that just, I think, speaks to the resolution power of, of silver that Shane talked about a few minutes ago. It was just last week, I had a, a photographer, I just he just said, you're lying. He, I mean, he's, that, that's the yeah. word he used, <laughs> you're lying, that this was not, this could not possibly be a 10 second exposure. And um, <laughs> What do you say? What do you what do you say Wait, to that? We talk about my stuff. Yeah, what do, what, do, what, do, you, what yeah. do you say to that? Right. So, yeah, it's 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 non-intuitive, um, and you know, and, and people have said, and I don't know if you've heard this, but Jamie, but people will say things like, "Well, why do that? It's such a pain, and it's so difficult, and it's so expensive, and you know, it's got all these pitfalls and downfalls." But I've never Jamie's practice, all, you know, other photography. I've never. I don't know anything else. So for me. It's like riding a bike, you know, you just, you know, you get on the bike and you pedal it and, and okay. So the, you know, your legs can get tired. Well, that's a downfall of riding a bike, right? Or, you know, you can hit a bump and you got to watch, you know, so you don't spill off this. You got to balance. That's a downfall of riding a bike, right? But it, it, none of these things, the exposure times and, you know, having the dark room available and all these things, none of these things are pitfalls to me. There, there's no downside to it because I don't know any, and only know any different. The only other camera I have is my iPhone camera. And I, I, I only use that. I never create any work with that. I just use that to capture behind the scenes uh, footage of what, you know, maybe to prove to this guy that, uh, you know, here's my head brace and this is how this sitter did indeed hold still for 10 seconds with some coaching. I mean, it always comes with a lot of coaching, right, Jamie? I mean, there's there's coaching involved. Uh, if But that's my aesthetic. Jamie's got a different aesthetic. He, he has movement in his and some of these things that I, um, you know, he's got more nuances in his plates than I do. But that's out of design. So it's just, I think you see two different, what, what I love about our relationship is that we have two different aesthetics. We're both chasing something completely different in our work. Um, but at the end of the day, um, we both owe it to Archer um, for, for providing this to us and, and understand that this is not my process. So there's, there's some people in this community that like to take possession of this process, but you know, if uh, Archer died penniless and, and poor, you know, it's his process. So we're just all practitioners of what he gave us. This, nobody else came up with this. We we are following in his footsteps. And, you know, it's an honor. I think he would be, you know, he would think it's an honor in 2022 that people have all these other technologies that they could capture images with. I mean, look at the, um, and, and, and we decide that, no, we're not going to do color. We're not going to do instant, instant photography. We're going to we're going to, you know, uh, pay homage to what you invented. And, and for the reason I explained, and I'll say it again, um, this is the best photographic process man has ever invented. And that will get me in deep water with a bunch of other photographers. But you're, you're asking me, an amber typist, what my opinion is, and that's my opinion. So there, nothing compares. Well, we're definitely no stranger to uh, controversy on this podcast but I am, I am in complete agreement with you, Shane, that 
I, I've seen a lot of people who do wet plate, tintype, ambrotype, and yeah, there, there is nothing else like it. And when I learned that Jamie was going to go visit you and learn it, first thought in my head was, I'm really not surprised because the type of work that he creates plates is perfect. So Jamie, take it away. What? Well, I actually, I was thinking uh, you had me on before, I think it was about a year ago. And I think I said, oh, I'm, I'm te teasing with the idea of wet plate. Um, and so here we are, whatever it is, six or eight or 12 months later. Um, uh, Shane and I got connected uh, through John Meadows um, uh, through the show um, and just through messaging and things like that, um, you know, I think uh, formed a friendship. Um, but for, for me, what got me into wet plate, um, Shane's the vehicle, but what got me into wet plate is um, some of the artists that I was influenced in, um, you know, people like Sally Mann, um, Julia Margaret Cameron, uh, those are two, two, photographers from very different eras that have used wet plate in, in different ways. And um, the aesthetic, um, you know, just kind of spoke to me. And so, um, you know, I started into large format and, and slowly worked at just understanding how to do those things. And then had the fortunate opportunity uh, back in uh, November of this past year of, of going down with Shane um, and hanging out with him for, for a weekend uh, where I basically um, was his apprentice. And uh, so we had, I think the first day um, uh, it was just us. So, uh, you know, Shane had showed me some of the process before. And if you, you know, follow him, he's got um, some well-documented things. He's got a documentary and, it explains a lot of the a lot of the items and uh, of how it goes through things. But I think going in the studio, um, we spent the first day. Uh, I brought a little nine by twelve folder, and so we decided on a whim that we were going to make a plate with it. Unfortunately, the glass didn't fit in the holders, so we uh, scratched some tin together and and threw it in there. But we um, we played around and made an image that day. Um, I think made another image uh, on wet plate. Um, or sorry, on a, on a glass, uh, eight by 10 glass. Uh, and then the next day is uh, Fridays are Shane's studio days where he has um, uh, his, his Native Americans that come in as well as just, uh, you know, other individuals that visit his studio. And so um, he had a couple of uh, different types of, of um, sitters that came in. And um, so I kind of shadowed him and asked him 65 questions and, um, <laughs> watched and studied and learned and all that sort of stuff. And then, uh, and then the following day we made more plates. Uh, we made some plates, uh, with us, creative stuff, um, with Shane's daughter, who's also an amazing, uh, artist herself. Um, and, uh, and then I came home and tried to piece it all together. Um, and so then, uh, uh I guess, uh, I was, in the process of rebuilding a dark room, uh, which finished just after Christmas. And so once that was ready, um, uh, Shane, uh, we had a deal that when I was, when it was time to pour my first plate, uh, Shane would, would give me a call and walk me through it just to make sure that I didn't screw up the chemistry because it's expensive stuff. And, uh, and so we did that and I guess the rest is history. Um, but different from Shane, 
and I guess we can, we'll talk about this maybe in a little bit, but Shane's aesthetic is exceptionally clean, pristine, um, very sharp plates. Um, and it works absolutely wonderfully. And my aesthetic is not clean. <laughs> and so uh, many of our conversations have been uh, me calling up Shane saying, hey, Shane, how do I get uh, meteors? So, you know, there's a there's a term in wet plate, which is these kind of speckles of and uh, in, in drag of the silver um, that are called meteors, which drive Shane mad and he wants to remove all of them. And I'm like, how do I get more of these in my plates? <laughs> and so uh, it's anyways, it's been a fun journey. I'm uh, I guess 1% of the way to Shane. I think Shane's something like 4,500 plates. I think I'm 40 ish. <laughs> so, um, but, but it's been a really fun process as we go through it. So where do you get because chemistry. The, the chemistry, because you're only the second person here and actually the third person I know here in Canada who actually is an active plate shooter. And I think one of them's in Vancouver. The other one, I don't know if she still practice it, practice it since she moved into Algonquin park. Um, so th there's a few more. So, uh, through some of the work that Shane has has done, I've met um, met a few a few people. So there's a another gentleman in Toronto that um, that is active. Um, there's a couple of gentlemen out west that have like moving uh, dark rooms, uh, dark rooms in in sort of mobile homes that are doing ultra large format um, uh, stuff that I've just found through some some online um, things. But uh, to answer your question in terms of chemistry. Um, Silver is easy. Uh, silver you can get through our friend uh, Jacques at Ar Ar Argentix, um, you know, other places. Um, the biggest challenge is ether and collodion. Um, and so where, I, where I've been able to get it from is, is uh, the same place that Shane does and I think the same place that Sally Mann does, which is uh, Bostic and Sullivan um, in New Mexico. Uh, to get it here, uh, you have to pay dang dangerous good shipping because of the uh, because of the ether and the alcohol. Um, but it arrives. Uh, you can get premixed um, collodion, uh, so uh, premixed salted collodion. You can get the uh, salt and collodion separate, and then you can just get raw chemistry. Um, so there's lots of different options. Uh, there are a couple of places as well. Um, there's a gentleman in Halifax or in the East coast. I think that has some chemistry available, uh, but you can find the stuff. It's just um, not the friendliest to ship because of what it contains. And then also the fragility of it. Um, but uh, it certainly is expensive to get started in, but a bottle of collodion as I, sh I, so I make four by fives and, you know, through 40 something plates plus, you know, probably a dozen or two dozen throwaways. I think I have three quarters of, of my original order still left in terms of that. So, um, uh, you know, you kind of only mix up a little bit of a time because the collodion will, as it ripens, it does change the, uh, I guess using film term, like changes the speed, it gets slower. Um, uh, so you only want to mix up a little bit at a time to, to make sure that, um, you know, you have whatever consistency in terms of 
being under uh, being able to understand what your exposures are going to be. Um, and then, yeah, I think, I mean, other chemicals in terms of developer and things like that, same thing, Boston and Sullivan, um, you can get some of the chemistry through places like Argentix. There's a couple of other places in the States, Shane, I think that do ship UV because I, we get, um, varnish from a gentleman in, I, yeah, he's in California. Is he California? I think he's California. He, 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 um, he has, uh, you can get collodion from him, I think as well. Um, so there's, there's definitely places. I think you just have to, the, the issue is not the cheapest and it's dangerous goods, but we should, we should state Alex that there's, there's, um, we, we think there's less than a thousand of us in the world. I mean, you were talking about number of wet plate photographers that you know in Canada. I'm sure there's more than that, but I mean, we, we feel that there's probably less than a thousand of us in the world practicing, actively pra uh, practicing. And I've seen so many people come and go, like they'll enter and then they never make another plate. I mean, it's very, very common because um, it, it, it's, um, there's, it's, involved. I mean, it's like, it's, it's involved and it can be maddening, um, you know, in terms of, uh, I'm, I'm fortunate that, uh, you know, I, I, I get to lean on Shane where Shane has made, you know, a hundred mistakes and, and, you know, learn some of the challenges along the way. And so I can tap into him to say, Hey, Shane, like, this isn't quite right. Like I remember the first, one of the first plates, I just overdeveloped it. And when you overdeveloped, you basically end up burning the plate. Um, you know, sort of burn the image. And, and uh, had I not known that it would have taken me probably 10 plates to figure it out. Instead, it was a quick phone call to Shane, showed him the plate and using, you know, modern technology to say, Hey, you know, what is, what's going on here? And he's, you know, steer me right. So, um, you know, I think because of that, it is a process that requires significant amount of patience significant amount of failure and then you know you add on top of that um the the way the plates uh, or sorry with the way the collodion uh, registers light is very different than film that we're used to um is different than you know photographic paper if you're used to shooting paper um it's it's takes some time to understand what that is and you can't use a light meter um, you know, it's, it's all by eye. And so it's, you know, a bit of trial of error in terms of learning that, although I would say, um, you know, I didn't appreciate when Shane said, you'll figure it out very quickly. Um, you do actually figure it out very quickly to be able to read light, um, you know, even more so than, than with film. Um, and so what's different is, uh, I don't have a studio. Um, I'm basically using whatever light is available around my house. And I have some places that I typically do portraits and things like that. Um, but in some cases, um, you know, I have portraits that I'm doing for uh, three minute exposure, self self portrait, three minute exposure. Um, you know, so it, it sort of amplifies what Shane talked about where you're, you know, it's, it's breaths and thoughts and things like that. In some instances, it's, it's fully formed thoughts and, or, you know, um, waxing and waning thoughts because, uh, because of the amount of time that it requires as well as staying, you know, as still as you possibly can. And, um, you can blink, but not too much. And, you know, all those sorts of things that go along with that. I've, I've had adults completely cave and wilt 
under this process as sitters. I mean, in, in you know, you can some people come in and they're just like ducks to water. They, they you know, they get it right away. And then I've had adults that sincerely try to be a sitter for my camera and they just three, four plates in. I just know that we're just, it's not going to work. It's just, they just something about their, I don't know, their neurological system or something. It's just people really um, underestimate how little movement. If you want one of these sharp images, like I, like I strive for, if you want one of these sharp images, um, I've, I've just seen adults just cave. And then again, I've had an eight year old kid come in and hold perfectly still as well without even a head brace sometimes. So um, it's, 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 um, it's, um, it's a wonderful process. Uh, we're slowing things down. There's a lot of composition. I mean, some of my photographs, uh, you know, mucus rose that I did just uh, you know, three, four months ago. I mean, the young lady was um, laying on the floor of my studio for three hours while we composed that shot. Um, it's a long time to sit around. And I, I wanted to say we did three exposures over three hours. So, um, you know, and we were just chasing what we wanted and, and, you know, you just, sometimes you just have to make the plates and it's not click, 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 click stuff. It's like, okay, give me, we'll have another plate. in 15 Yeah. You can't even have one in waiting. Yeah. Yeah. You can't even have one in waiting. No, none of that. Um, so you, you make one reset, make another one reset um, and, and, and keep on going. I mean, for me, um, you know, not, not to get all soft, but I think there's a romantic quality to it um, in, in terms of, it's the most handmade thing that you can do. I mean, you're literally cutting the glass in into this shape that you need, um, coating it with this substrate, coating it with silver, um, you know, exposing it to light, and then, you know, going through the whole development process. It's, it's extremely tactile. And then, you know, that whole notion of the fact that it's, it's still life, but it's not still life um, is, is kind of amazing. And then I think just, you know, the other thing that we didn't talk about when we were talking about the image itself, um, uh, certainly with glass, um, when you hold it in your hand, it's, uh, there, it's 3D. Um, there, there, is, there is depth to it. Um, there, there's just this very different uh, physicality, I guess, to it that, uh, that you just don't get from certainly not from a digital photo, but definitely not even from a, a you know, a, a print or anything like that. I, I think the word that applies, Jamie, is intent. I think I, I, I like to use that word. Yeah. I mean, there's an intention. Um, you don't like my romantic? <laughs> no, I like that. I like that as well. I just, there's an intent that we have to, and, and, and a sitter or whoever you're photographing, they have to be involved. I mean, so often we're so used to exposures that someone could be in my student. I could be taking iPhone snapshots of people and they have no idea that I'm even doing it. That's not the, that's not the case with the web place. They have to be involved. So there's this dance between the sitter and myself and I can do the most wonderful. I've seen this a million times. I can do the most wonderful photography, which I don't, but I could, but if I don't, I have a sitter that can't live up to their end of the bargain. If they're not buying this, if they're not, you know, in the, in the zone with me, if they're not willing to go through some of the, and, and it's uncomfortable being a sitter. And that's why I like to do, you know, every once in a while, it's, it's good for us, um, good for my soul to do a self-portrait or like when other wet plate photographers show up, I need to get on the other side of the camera because it's no different than when I was a nurse. Um, you know, I'm jabbing people and causing harm all day. 
And, you know, I would always let the nursing students stick me in the arm and, you know, two o'clock in the morning, they'd be practicing IVs on me or drawing blood on me. And um, it's just good to put yourself in that position because it, it can be uncomfortable. You know, if you're using continuous lights, you're being blinded. I use natural light here, but my first studio, um, I didn't even have, I mean, I didn't even, I had never stepped into a dark room. So I built my dark room without ever being in a dark room without anyone ever even telling me what goes into a dark room. So my first dark room, I had a, I had 5,000 square foot warehouse out, out at my business. My studio was the dark room. So my sitters would go in the dark, the whole, the whole back 5,000 square feet would go completely dark. I'd have my little red lights that I'd have to develop and everything and pour the plate and get everything ready. And then I turn the lights on and hit my sitters with these, these continuous bulbs immediately. And then they'd have to go back to the dark room. I mean, on Friday afternoons, it was my employees in the back shipping boxes with these little red, little like little red lights on their heads, um, packing in boxes and making sure the UPS guy didn't come through the back door and, and ruin my plates. So, um, you know, there's a, it was, uh, there was a, a huge learning curve, but, you know, some people think that, um, it was, you know, it's a negative that I had to, I learned by, you know, by uh, trial and error, but, you know, Jamie's just describing some of the things that, you know, the mentality or some of the thoughts about previous other, you know, uh, film, for instance, I didn't know about developing film. So there was no influence on me. I, the only thing I had was my one variables that I could understand. So I just muddled my way and crawled and scratched and kicked my way through teaching this to myself. I didn't have anything else was, Nothing else was um, influencing me. I, I had never read even a book on photography. So I, I didn't know. I, I mean, I know about all these wonderful photographers and I study photography and I study um, bodies of work now. But that's in retrospect. That's only after I figured out how to do this on my own. So I didn't, I didn't have any other previous influences. So I, I think in a way it was easier for me because um, um, it wasn't, uh, you know, most people would say, well, that's, that's ridiculous. And I didn't, well, it doesn't seem ridiculous to me if that's the only thing you know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's, um, if there's an advantage to having a background in film. Um, I mean, I, I obviously I, I'm not, I'm newer to photography over the last few years, but I think conceptually, um, you know, you can kind of understand some of the things, but having said that, it's exceptionally different. Um, you know, you're basically creating your own emulsion um, live on the spot while you're going to do the composition. Um, and then you go and compose and then go back and develop and print all in one go. Um, and so if you think about that as, you know, a, a sort of all told start to finish something like a 30 minute to an hour dance to get a, you know, one picture from the time you start setting up, it's conceptually, it's strange but at the same point it makes a, a lot of sense um in terms of you know the the sort of flow when we think about film photography of you know film expose develop print um you're just doing a lot all in one go um albeit exceptionally slow and you know um delicate and and all those sorts of things so um i don't know if it's advantage disadvantage i i it's hard for to say, cause I also had the opportunity to learn from you. Right. So I get to take all your knowledge and apply that. I was at the ultimate advantage. And, and so just to, to close us out off, um, my last question is thoughts on optics. What, what sort of lenses 
do you use? I know that a lot of people are drawn towards the wet plate process to use these old brass lenses and shoot them wide open and get that swirl background that everyone wants these days. Shane, what sort of lenses do you use? Jamie, same question. I only use one one type of lens, a Carl Zeiss Tessar. Um, I have my first wet plate lens was, the, you know, I didn't know any different. So I figured I had to buy a brass lens. And um, the dang thing was, you know, it was 150 years old and it was soft focus and it was slow as heck. And then um, uh, a friend of mine, um, Andreas Ray in Germany, um, you know, leave it to a German to refer you to a German lens. Um, said, why don't you try the, the Carl Zeiss Tesser out? And so these lenses that I use are from like the 1980s, 1990s. So they were more modern, more modern lenses. They're at, uh, F4.5. I have to shoot wide open in my studio, Alex, to get that 10 second exposure. If I just, if I stop down one, one click, you're, you're looking at 20 second exposure now. And, and the human being um, just cannot, um, for my aesthetic, like you can't hold. I can't ask anyone any more than ten seconds. So that's my sweet spot. And and I should also say that I don't. I don't. I could get it faster. Like I could change clothing recipes. I could you you know introduce some flash. I could get I could get my exposures down to one second or even instant. I've got a 4,500 4, watt Valkyrie unit in the other room. I could get instant wet plates. I shot three plates with it, put it away, and I've not powered the thing up since then. So I can't find my work. So it, it's not like I can't get faster. I can get faster. I am. Um, to my own detriment, staying at this this ten seconds. I have all so the, you know the size. I, I, I have all the sizes of this Carl Zeiss Tessar um, for all my sizes of um, cameras. So, but I my philosophy on lenses is that um, you know when I was a golfer, I used the same putter for my entire the whole time of the ten years, twelve years that I golfed. I used the same putter because I had this feeling that if I use that same instrument. I would get, it would become an extension of my, of my arms that I would, I would find, you know, it may, it may not be the most expensive putter in the world. It may not be the truest putter in the world. It may not be the latest technology uh, as far as putters go, but in my hands, you know, spend a decade with anything. And, and, and that's what I'm, I'm, I'm approaching a decade with these lenses. I mean, and, and spend a decade with anything. And, and I, I think you're going to find some improvement. And what I also like is I like the consistency. I've got fellow friends and, and it's everyone, whoever, whatever you want to do, but I got friends that change lenses like underwear. Um, you don't know when you see one of their works, other than if they're, unless their names by it sometimes, in some instances, I'm not saying all the time, but you don't know that it's their work um, because the, 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 the aesthetic of their image changes with the, with the lens. Cause I mean, they can be rather extreme. So I, I, I like people that there's a consistency, there's a consistency in the Bosick and Sullivan um, chemistry, which I love. And that's all I've ever used. Um, you know, there are people sometimes poo poo on the whole idea that you're in the chemistry and that, you know, it's, it's already, your clothing's already made for you and your bromides are already made for you and you just have to mix them together. Um, but you know, the, the, the fact is, is that people were using chemistry houses and these photography houses back in the Victorian era, buying all their chemistry from, from these, these suppliers as well. So that, that whole concept of, oh, you have to mix everything, um, bespoke, um, from, from just raw chemicals that, you know, it's, it's just really not, it's not the, it wasn't the case then. And it's not the case now. So I want the consistency of the chemistry is the reason I used Bostick and Sullivan. Um, and then we should get some kind of credit from Bostick and Sullivan. Don't you think Jamie, for all this, 
publicity. Yeah, seriously. But anyway, but then I, I, I also, I go to the- Especially when people see the prices. Yeah. And then I go to the consistency with the lens too, that this is, I, this is my, and I don't, I have no intention of changing lenses. I have no intention. So um, I'm just, I'm a simpleton. Shane's like in, in film equivalent, Shane's shooting 300 millimeter on eight by 10. So I think it's about a 45 or a 50 millimeter equivalent in 35. Whatever that means. Um, in terms of aesthetic. Whatever that means. <laughs> but, uh, but, but, but I think to Shane's point, the consistency, when you see a plate, you know, it's Shane's um, because it's got an aesthetic and it's got, it's got that same consistency. And I think, uh, you know, I follow a similar philosophy which is um i want i want people to understand when they're looking at one of my images that it's it's you know hopefully you guess that it's my image pretty closely because because of you know all of the different factors that are in lens um so for me um i also have uh, a couple of uh i i use a couple of different lenses um i have a 10.5 centimeter so this is for four by five um f 3.5 carl zeiss tessar which i think is a, a larger lens uh, which i have mounted and the reason why i use that one is um is first of all it's f 3.5 so i can stop down to you know 4.5 and still maintain a two or three minute exposure usually which for me and my style kind of works um but second is i can because uh, these the lenses uh, that both Shane and I use, they don't have shutters. So we're using the lens cap as a shutter. And so if I'm doing self-portrait uh, at 10.5 centimeters, I can reach the lens almost always. And so it's just a little bit easier for me because I don't have a, you know, a guillotine shutter or anything like that. Uh, I also have a 18 centimeter, 180, which I think is about the 50 millimeter equivalent. Um, and that's an F 4.5. Uh, and then I also have a couple of lenses with shutters. I have some, uh, Japanese lenses, some Fujinons, I think, uh, F 5.6 with a shutter, which is maybe, I think it's 180 and then a 210 portrait. That's a soft focus. So it's a, basically a modern version of, of a Petzl. Uh, it doesn't give you the swirling background, but it gives you that sort of soft focus where only one very thin area is in focus, which, you know, works pretty well. I don't think I made a wet plate with that yet, but because uh, it's a bit slower, I think it's 6.3. So when the weather gets a little bit nicer um, and you can be outside, um, you know, exposures can sl slow down to, you know, F8, F11 at two to three seconds. And so you can certainly use some of those lenses at those times, but, um, but, you know, one of the things that I think for Shane and I, um, speed matters. And so, you know, it's not that we're looking for wide open, um, because we do want some certain things in focus. And I think, um, you know, what I've learned from Shane is Shane's a, a master at, um, some of the movements of, of, uh, large format, uh, tilt and things to, to keep, you know, as much of what he wants in focus and focus, despite the fact that the focal plane is exceptionally shallow. Um, and that's just a product of these fast lenses that we have to do in order to keep the, the, you know, exposure time somewhat reasonable. So just to close us off, 
What is one piece of advice that you would give to someone who wants to start on the journey of um, wet plate photography? Um, I think I would just have to give you the advice that I, I or the method by which I taught myself is that um, John Coffer um, here in the United States, um, there we are talking about a true master. Um, when you're referring to me as a master, that, there's a little misnomer there, but um, when you talk 4,000 plus plates, uh, when Shane, we, you're getting pretty close. When we talk about John Coffer, um, he's a very well-respected gentleman. And he writes, so if you go to johncoffer.com, he has what's called his doer's guide. And that's, um, I sent him $75 back, you know, nine years ago. Um, he doesn't have, uh, he doesn't have a computer. You got to send and send him a check in the mail. And then this manual will appear on your doorstep of either you can have it. Check, sorry, check or cash. Yeah. Check yeah. or cash. Yeah. Or, or it'll either be, you can, yeah. you can choose between his typewritten. Someone typed it out because his handwriting is hard, hard to deal with sometimes, or you can ask for the handwritten one, but, um, with John Coffer's guide, um, he just wrote this himself and he just walks you right through it. And I spent, you know, that first 45 days trying to get, get up to speed you know, on the couch with the highlighter and making notes and thinking that I knew what I needed to do in certain steps. And, and it's just, you know, why would I, uh, you know, say anything other than just listen to what John has to say and that, and John's manual, it's called the doer's guide. You can find it on his website, johncoffer.com. If you do end up uh, getting his manual, just tell him Shane sent you and he'll send you a nice little card back. And um, he's just, uh, you know, I've never met him. He's a wonderful gentleman. We exchange, he writes me letters and I write him letters and, and, um, but it was his, his knowledge that allowed me to teach myself as a non-photographer. So I've always said, right, Jamie, I mean, I've, this isn't rocket science. If I can figure it out, I mean, anyone can figure it out, but there's, there's, you know, there has to be a, a certain degree of determination, um, fortitude, stubbornness. And, um, well, it's, I think it's, 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 I mean, if you're going to do it, it's an investment, right. And, uh, and I don't just mean an investment in dollars. Um, you have to, you have to get a camera, you have to get a lens, you have to source materials. Um, you then have to spend the time and patience to, to fail a few times and, and work through it. And um, so I, you know, I think it's just an overall, it's, it's an invest investment. And I think, you know, certainly my wife and, you know, uh, Shane, your wife probably would say a bit of an obsession. Um, you know, we're, we're to, to chase those things. And I think that you need that in order to, to try to be successful. Um, my advice is, uh, cause I didn't, I didn't, uh, I, I looked up John Coffer and I couldn't figure out how to make sense of sending him $75 by Canada post with the return envelope big enough to then send back the thing. Um, because he's in somewhere upstate New York, I think. Yeah. Um, so my, my advice is find, find somebody like Shane. Um, and I would say, um, that's, both easy and challenging there, are, as Shane said, there's lots of people that are practicing. I think that there are, um, you know, like anything, there are people who want to share and want you to succeed and people that, you know, will, will do everything to try to hold you back. And, and Shane is somebody that, um, you know, opened up his, his, his home and his studio and, and, uh, and his family to this guy from Canada to come down and, and see him and, and spend the weekend and do all that sort of stuff. And then since then, you know, um, countless phone calls and, and video calls and all that sort of stuff. And so if you find somebody that 
you can, um, you know, tap into that, that can give you that guidance and show you and teach you. I, I think that that's worth way more than, you know, anything. And so I, I'm exceptionally grateful to that. And my intention is to certainly pay that forward. So, um, you know, I know some friends of the show uh, are, are interested in, in going through. And, and so I've, I've, when we're not in these crazy COVID times and, um, you know, the weather's a little bit nicer that we don't have to do three minute exposures, um, uh, the door will be open. Uh, just like Shane opened his door to, to and, and I also want to say there as well, um, you know, I say that I'm self-taught, but understand that the people came to my assistance as well, Andreas Ray in Germany. Um, he's my only, only, only person I've ever called a mentor because he was there for me in those times when I was struggling or I was having difficult times. So this isn't, um, you know, it, it takes a tribe. Um, there are people that are, that, that want to share. It's rewarding for me to see Jamie succeed, to get an image. I mean, it's, it's very rewarding because, but I, I'm just like, like he's saying he's going to do, I'm just paying for it too, because there's plenty of great um, practitioners and gentle and kind people that offered me advice, took me under their wing and, and helped me through this process as well. So I, I just have to do the same thing for Jamie and other people. And I've, I probably taught no less than 10 or 12 people from the ground up and they're there, you know, who went back home and were successful at making, you know, making wet plates at some point. So it, it's, it's a great, um, it's a great uh, journey. Um, the only other advice, uh, if I can address this one more time, Alex, is just, you know, as a newcomer, just don't pay attention to the critics. Um, believe in yourself. Um, and, um, you know, if, if you, um, if you start paying attention to the critics, you um, Things can go off the rails, and and I've I've had plenty of that uh, come my way as I come up the ranks. But um, you know, it shouldn't be. And even 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 I did. Yeah, even I did. Uh, you remember? You had a little uh, bit already the, too. When my first my first my first my first plate was a little, there was a little bit of a rocky road on uh, from from some people in the community. in the community that um, you know are just focused on on themselves and. Uh, for whatever reason, you know, don't share that same idea of paying it forward and, and you know, community and collaboration, um, rising tide rises all boats and things like that. This so, is um, just try to block that stuff out. Nobody's yeah. process. It's Archer's process. And we all follow in his shoes and he gave it to us as a community and, and nobody's taken as far as I, you know, these gatekeepers, um, I don't I kick gates down all the time, constantly kicking gates down. So, uh, but you, you know, you, um, when one person succeeds, you know, if Jamie succeeds, that doesn't take any way, anything away from my success. I mean, why, why wouldn't I want Jamie to succeed? Why does that actually, why, I mean, my, why does that hurt me? It would never hurt me. My view is that the more people that we can get doing this process, we can make chemistry easier available. We can, you know, make it maybe less expensive. Um, you know, we can have sharing, we can have, all those sorts of things. So uh, I want more people to do it. Uh, I don't want it to be an exclusive club um, because I, I want it to be more accessible um, selfishly. Um, and so that's kind of counter counterintuitive where I want more people to do it. So selfishly, it's easier for me to do it. Um, but that's just the reality. And I was just talking to Tony Richards last week and we had um, the Bishop Thorpe Camera Club. They had about 80 people online did a talk for two hours with them and Tony, they just lost their supplier of wet plate collodion um, chemistry in the UK. Yeah. And there's some people, I mean, they're seriously, 
you know, if they're struggling, they're trying to figure out where they're going to source all this stuff. So it is a problem. I, I want to send as much money as I can to Boston and Sullivan and, and keep their doors open. Um, you know, it's important. And we just need to all, and I'm always buying gear, lens caps from Czechoslovakia, um, you know, plate holders from all parts of the week. So you're just, plate holders. You know, yeah, you just kind of play it forward and try to, you know, help the guy out over there. And then on top of that, um, the other thing that I would say is, you know, uh, everyone loves art, but nobody's willing to pay for it. So, I mean, I just bought another piece of original art today from a young artist. Um, and so, I mean, if you like what someone does, buy one of their, their pieces or something. So it just, it's that whole sense of community, that whole sense of, you know, we all collectively, we can all be better. Um, this isn't a competition. Yeah. And um, why don't we all just, uh, you know, do if everyone looked out for each other, um, you know, we're, we're the, the photographic community, and this is just from an outsider's standpoint. Again, I'm not a photographer. I was never a photographer. Um, you guys have been like killed. I mean, this whole digital you know, the digital camera coming on the scene is I've talked to the photographers that were photographers for 30, 40 years, and it has been a, a rough game. Um, you know, so why not, you know, why not support each other and, and be a city and, and try to look out for each other? You know, it's not, there's enough things against photographers right now in this, in this modern world um, that um, we should be looking out for each other. Well, Thank you both so much for for coming on the show. It's been amazing to just listen to you. And I'm just so humbled by your willingness to share and just be open with with everything and the the words of wisdom from both of you. So for for anyone listening, there'll be links to Shane and Jamie's work on the episode notes page, as well as links to the um, wet plate um, resources that they've, that they've mentioned, Argentix, Bostick and Sullivan. On, on, on yeah, Facebook, that's um, I have a group of friends of Frederick Scott Archer. So if, if someone wants to get into wet plating and they want to find a community, a, a kind gentle community of uh, wet plate collodion photographers about we have like 4,500 people that follow again we have probably less than a thousand people that just, but there's a there's a large group of people that are interested in wet plate um friends of frederick's not, not, not a requirement to be a, absolutely yeah not a requirement yeah. to be uh, if you appreciate the process so if you want to yeah. support if you want to support a wet Beautiful plate if you want to see wet plate photographs on a daily basis from artists from around the world um, that that's a really good resource. And if you if you want to learn or you're going to take this on, um, we're, I'm out there. So if you start posing questions, you're going to get answers. So this isn't you know you you're just speaking into a void. If you if you go to my group on Facebook, you will get answers. So you may not get the right answers right away, but we'll find someone someone in there is going to have the right answers. So that's that's wonderful. Thank you, thank you both so much, and. Thank you for agreeing to come on the show. I know that was a bit of back and forth to find find times that no, work. No, it's great, Alex. Thank you. So, I, it's an honor. Thank you very much. Yeah. The honor is ours. It really, truly is. And, of course, thank you to everyone who has tuned in today and is listening. And if you have any questions for either Jamie or Shane, you can reach out to them on Facebook or if you reach out to us, we'll make sure it gets to them and contact information will be shared. Have a great night, everyone. Thank you, sir.